Hello, everybody. I'm Dwayne Mancini, and welcome to another episode of the Project MedTech Podcast. If you need anything from us or would like to suggest a future guest, you can email us at info at projectmedtech.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review, and you can always visit our website, www.projectmedtech.com, or follow us on LinkedIn. If you're enjoying this content, don't forget to check out our other podcasts by searching MedTech Money on your favorite podcast platform or by heading to our website. MedTech Money is an interview-style podcast focused on demystifying, raising, and investing capital for MedTech startups. Startups. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Lean RAQA. Michelle Lott and the Lean team helps recognize regulatory and quality issues aren't a burden, but they are strategic advantages when used properly. These experts strip away misdirected activities so you can focus on what really matters, winning in the marketplace. Check them out at leanraqa.com. In this episode, our guest Jasmine Hansel and I discuss her company, Eveline, how they support medtech startups, how commercialization strategy differs between UK versus US and why the differences are underestimated, commercialization strategy, reimbursement, having a commercialization plan and which countries you go to first, do's and don'ts in medtech companies trying to commercialize, and so much more. So without further ado, my discussion with Jasmine Hansel. Jasmine, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Yeah. So maybe let's uh, start with an intro into who you are and, and what you do. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I um, am co-founder and CEO of Eveline, um, and we are a commercialization consultancy is, is kind of the top level of how we say it. But basically, we help um, health tech companies get to the people who they're designing their technology for, whether that's patients or providers. Um, so we really help with that kind of commercialization aspect, go to market, communications, branding, um, everything that comes under that umbrella. Um, and I, so we're, we're officially a year old um, as of the beginning of the week, which is really exciting. Congratulations. Um, thank you. <laughs> and then um, before that I've spent, um, the last well, over a decade now in marketing, um, specifically in technology and healthcare. Um, so helping a lot of early stage companies here in the UK go over to the US um, and also just general market expansion. Okay, awesome. So let's let's kind of unpack this a little bit. So you're, you're located in the UK, correct? Yes. Okay. Do you specialize? So do, do, are, are a lot of your client base helping health tech companies commercialize in the UK and Europe or or like just talk to me about that company breakdown. Yeah, that's a really good question. So our initial thought, so we are we are British as you might be able to tell from my accent. Uh, <laughs> but um we we actually lived in America me and my co-founder um for many years in in healthcare. Um so our niche to begin with was really helping British companies that usually they're kind of university spin out, super academic, really know their stuff, haven't ever spoken to an American physician. Um, so really helping them take their ideas to the US. That, that was what we thought would be our niche. And we've done that a lot. We have a lot of clients that do that. But we also have the flip side where we have American companies who like the fact that we know how to interact with them and, and we understand their perspective who want to come to the UK and want to get into the NHS and things like that. So actually, 
uh, and also Canada. Um, so we actually we kind of go both ways. So that that cross border um, uh, commercialization is really is really where we sit. Um, we do a little bit of work with um, Asia Pacific, but we tend to specialize in North America to Europe and vice versa. Okay, awesome. And so it, it's all of Europe. It's not just the UK, correct? Yeah. So we do have. Um, we do have a bit of stuff across Europe, um, especially with Malta. We have quite a strong connection there uh, with the digital health scene, um, but also we would um, we would be looking to expand it in general within Europe um, if we had people that were looking for it. Okay, so so let's um, break down some of these differences. So uh, you know something that when we talk to European countries or European companies as a whole, right? And, and they want to come to the US market, our, our general, our, our first, you know, conversation with them is how complex the US healthcare system is, um, right? Compared to the, the, to the UK or, or, or um, Germany or France or any of those countries, really, right? I mean, it's, it's, it is really, really complex. And, and so um, when you talk to companies in the UK and they say, you know, Jasmine, we, we want to go to the US um, or when you talk from when you talk to a US company and say, hey, I want to go to the UK. How do those conversations differ? Can you just break down a high level, maybe like the basics of that commercialization strategy from from, you know, Europe to US and US to Europe? Yeah, for sure. So. I think the first thing is either direction. The first thing I would say to anybody, um, you know, any of our clients or anyone even that we're just speaking to is don't underestimate what you don't know, because there's just a mass of difference between the two countries, especially the UK and the US. Uh, people don't underestimate it as much going to continental Europe because there's a language barrier and therefore people assume there's going to be differences. But UK to US and vice versa, people assume it's going to be quite similar because, well, they speak my language, so it's not going to be that difficult. And it's just not that simple. Um, mm -hmm. Even to the language point, I mean, we often have conversations with people about actually how to talk in America or how to talk in the UK and how to structure sentences and, and loads of different nuances that people underestimate. Um, but I think the the first thing when we talk to people going from the UK to the US and the, the biggest difference people see is about the value proposition and around actually what um, what the value is you need to be showing. And in the US, it's much more focused around that kind of payer model of, am I making someone money or am I stopping someone spending too much money on something they shouldn't? Um, and that is really um, the focus of how we position the value propositions there. Whatever layer we're going to, like, is this... Is this bringing me in some more money if you're a healthcare provider or is this kind of saving money if you're a, a bigger payer or insurer? Um, whereas on the flip side, when you're bringing something to Europe um, and especially to the markets that have the uh, nationalized healthcare, it's much more around, okay, am I saving money? Am I seeing more patients faster? Um, am I getting better outcomes for less money rather than am I making money? Um, and that is a big difference. And I think both systems have their, have their pros and cons, but that's just the biggest initial difference that you see and trying to get 
spritz their head around. <laughs> no, no, people are going to make money and that's okay. <laughs> it's not a bad thing. It's just right. how you have to position it. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think the other thing is people that don't live in America see it as this big homogenous place. And I'm like, actually, really, you need to look at it as a as the United States, not as one kind of country. And you really need to see, okay, well, which states do I want to go to first? And then looking at each of those individual requirements, um, you know, okay, great, you have FDA clearance, but you actually now need to look at, okay, what, what am I, how am I going to get into that one state and mm -hmm. then scale it from there? Um, which is very different to Europe where you can pretty much take a country and it's going to be half the size of a state and <laughs> you can, you yeah. can kind of get into the health systems a lot easier. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a really good point. I, I, the first time that was explained to me was during a reimbursement presentation where someone broke down reimbursement codes. And, you know, I just thought, again, that was throughout the United States. And then you find out there's like a ton of sections, right? And and they all get reimbursed differently. And, and it was like, oh, now I get why your strategy, depending on your device, could be, hey, you know what, I'm going to start in North Carolina, and then maybe I'll go to Florida or, or something like this, right? So, so um, it's, it's a really interesting point. Do you find that in general, um, it's, it's harder for people in the UK to understand commercialization in the US versus US to UK? That's an interesting one. <laughs> I think and, uh, this is quite, might be quite a controversial answer. Okay. I think in general, Americans are better at business. Okay. So it, wherever you're commercializing, I think Americans have this kind of slightly more slick way of doing business and sales. And they get like, they get that you need to be good at branding. They get that you need to be, and this is a massive generalization. Yeah, well, of course. Yeah. <laughs> in general, yeah. they're just a little bit more, they have their business head on usually. Mm -hmm. Whereas Brits tend to have more of a, softer approach to things and build the, and they're great at building relationships. Yeah. You know, we're really good at understanding the nuance of a situation and building great, amazing academic technology. Mm -hmm. But in general, I the people who do really well commercially have slightly more of an American mindset in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. 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 No, I can, I, I can see that. I can, I could, I could, I could definitely see that. Yeah. <laughs> I totally get that. Um, okay. So, um, I kind of want to talk about like uh, in terms of branding as a whole, right? So, so branding as a whole, um, sometimes technologies have different buckets of customers. So as a brand developer, how do you make sure that like when you're talking to this bucket, your branding is on point for that person, but then for this person, it might be, it might be different. And, and this bucket, it might be different. I, I think that's something that happens frequently. You might, the way you sell to a hospital versus a long-term care facility, you know, versus a doctor, physician, or a distributor could be different. So how do you kind of tackle that so that your branding, your overarching branding is, is, is there, but then you have branding for these individual segments. Yeah. Um, and I think you kind of hit it on the head right at the end there. You need to have a separate way of doing things for each audience. And it really comes down to that early, early in the process of, of building your product, thinking about what your market segmentation looks like and which markets you're really going to focus on. Um, and, and that 
can be outside of the commercial aspect as well. I mean, a lot of companies that we're talking about here will be going for VC funding. So they'll need kind of a corporate brand. Then they'll need kind of their patient focused brand that's a little more friendly and a little more explanatory. Um, and then they'll need a few different sections within their people that might buy from me section. Um, and, and that could be payers, it could be providers, it could be small systems, big systems, um, nationalized systems. And I think the way of doing that or getting that right early is really having a very kind of basic table of, okay, these are my stakeholders and thinking, what do they care about? And having that, we, we literally break it down into kind of a table. And we have at the top of the table, we have, this is your umbrella message and tone of voice. So for everyone, we are going to be, uh, we had one client that was suitably irreverent, which I thought was quite nice. But within that, we had the different ways you could do that to different audiences. Um, so we could say, right, there's, there's patience. So within that, we need to be very respectful. We don't want to be too enthusiastic either way. We don't want to be scaring them. Um, but it still needs to fit into that umbrella tone of voice. Um, but they'll have their own value proposition. Um, and in terms of the branding for that within that, there might be a little more, um, the visual aspect needs to be consistent colors, fonts, type of stuff, but they might be more kind of explainer animations and small chunks of information. Whereas with physicians or a slightly more academic audience, again, it's gonna have the same feel, but we're gonna use different types of stuff to communicate to them, like, um, you know, uh, one client we're doing a project for at the moment fits into this really nicely is visual abstracts. So taking their academic papers and kind of making them into posters, but of the whole paper rather than just kind of the initial mm. part. Um, and that go that gives a lot more information that you probably wouldn't want as a patient. You wouldn't, you're not going to dig into that. But as a physician, okay, knowing all of the area under the curve percentages is actually really important. Um, so I think that helps having that overarching tone and uh literally as basic as fonts and colors but then within each audience having a really defined value proposition and having a kind of these are the types of visuals these are the types of media that we use um mm -hmm. and i think if you do that early then it's quite easy to roll it out wider and scale it if you start without that it's really difficult to pull it back um and you know, if you're trying to do market segmentation after you've already gone to a few markets, then I, I really don't want to try and help with that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. right, right. Okay, makes sense. So so tell me the ideal engagement for you is that, you know, if I'm a startup company, right, and I, I have my paper drawing um, and I, I'm starting to prototype and tinker and that kind of thing, I've identified one market. Is it ideal to engage you then? I do. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, that's right. kind of like, okay. that's the golden ticket. Um, I think we, ha we have conversations with companies at loads of different stages and the ones that we kind of, we really put some, uh, we put our own money behind are the ones that come early. Cause then we know, okay, they, they value the long-term growth and commercialization of their company and they recognize it as something they need to do. They might not want to do it themselves. They might think, okay, this is something that I'm, I'm going to pass off to someone else. And that's great. That's fine. Um, but it's, it's having that value of, um, of the non kind of technical aspect of things. And what I say to people is really 
when once you've started thinking about who you're selling to and once you've started thinking about what your regulatory and publication strategy might look like that is really the time to start talking and thinking about marketing um and that could just be an internal mindset rather than necessarily engaging with someone like us um but you know engaging with someone like us is a little less risky because we kind of uh, we're not this full-time employee that has lots of overheads and stuff. So we can we can talk to people a little earlier than they would usually have a kind of full-time marketer. Um, but really before any marketing should be thought of before regulatory submissions are done um, and before any big uh, markets have been kind of entered. In terms of this, that as you were saying, the, the early branding exercises. Um, and then, yeah. you know. Yeah, just to, to, to comment on this and add a little bit more, I mean, it's something, this is where we, we push, uh, you know, the, the companies we're working with to talk and think about commercialization at that early, early phase. Because the other thing too is, is right, is, is they can engage someone like you, really work on branding now um and 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 have those buckets identified okay hey we might go if there's four buckets we, you know one two three and four all possibilities maybe four goes to the wayside you know once we're on the market but but at least you're prepared for it um and then as you're going through all the regulatory processes the the branding person is probably not as involved but at least they've been clued in to what's going on so when you do get that hey great uh you're good to go. You can sell your product. They're plugged right in and they're ready to go. Yeah, exactly. And I think to add a little bit onto that, even actually the, mm -hmm. the importance of getting the, and maybe, and this is more kind of the communications aspect, but getting, um, and this links back to something I'm always going on about. And I think anyone that's ever listened to me is probably bored of it by now, but talking to your customers early and, and getting that early market feedback feeds into how you're going to communicate your product. And you need to do that before you do your regulatory submission, because you need to know what kind of marketing claims you're going to make. And you have to put them in your regulatory submission. You have to have done the research and, and the clinical evidence before that. So in order to make a good submission that's going to enable you to do good marketing in the future, you need to have strong marketing claims in that FDA, CE, MHRA submission. Um, and, and in order to do that, you need one of your marketers or commercially minded people to be talking to your customers and figuring out, OK, what's going to be our big value proposition and how can we make sure that that is included in our regulatory clearance? OK, yeah, no, I, I, I like that a lot. Um, that is a it's it's another good point. Right. Um, so when I worked for NAMSA and LabCorp, uh, one of the things both those organizations did was run clinical trials. And it was, it was always something we were talking to startups about, uh, all companies, but, but startups the most, educating them on, hey, regulatory, yeah, that's a check, right? You're checking a box there, right? But you need to, within that clinical trial design, make sure you think about reimbursement, and commercialization and having that data um, to do that because there's nothing worse than going through the regulatory submission and then having reimbursement or or the customers you're selling to going well hey tell me about this clinical endpoint you go we didn't collect it and now you <laughs> got to go back and do a clinical trial again and clinical trials are expensive so um i think that's a really good point um and 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 also 
whether you're trying to commercialize, commercial, commercialize your product and actually have a company that sells your product, or if you're trying to exit, regulatory is not getting you either one of those things. That's a step you have to take no matter what. It's not, it's not a, it, it's not really adding any value. What's going to add value is, is the data you collect for selling to people and reimbursement. And so you, you better think of it early. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. You put mm-hmm. it much nicer than I could have ever done, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, um, uh, so, so tell me a little bit about, um, uh, going to market in the UK, the NHS. I mean, I, I've done an episode on this. It was episode like seven or oh, it was episode eight. I just shared it the other day. Um, and, and we're on like episode one. 90. Yeah, it was with Michael Brannigan Harris. And so he does, he works for Device Access UK. And, and so, you know, unless our, our listening base was drastically different in the first 20 episodes than it is now, right? So like episode 20 was like our inflection point for for people listening. So so maybe just break that down a little bit. You know, what's that process look like? Hey, I'm a I'm a US company. I want to sell my product in the UK. What educate me? I could I just assume I have no idea. What's the NHS or what's nice? Uh, I know there's there's that abbreviation as well. Yeah. Yeah, so so the NHS sounds like one and NHS is kind of one thing, but it's kind of not. So first of all, okay. you have you have different ones for the different countries of the United Kingdom. So Scotland, Wales, England, Northern Ireland have separate entities that become the NHS. Okay. Um, and within each of them, there's different ways that they're structured. Um, so people tend to go for NHS England first. I don't really know why, because um, all the others have a lot of innovation um, and they pioneer a lot of technologies. But for NHS England, then within that, and it's going through a restructure at the moment, but you have, um, so you have your hospitals, um, your individual hospital, just like you would within a health system in the US. Um, but then they are grouped into uh, something called CCGs, clinical care groups. Um, and we're going for something at the moment that is called integrated care systems, I think, ICS, which everyone talks about, but it hasn't actually happened yet, which is even yeah. bigger kind of conglomerate, if you like bits of the nhs that all fit together um so within that there's there's kind of many layers um, of the nhs of how purchasing happens and how procurement happens and it can be at a very local level so it can be so a trust is a hospital um so it can be at trust level or it could be at a slightly higher level it could be the ccg so kind of the local area of hospitals or it could be the slightly more regional area of hospitals or it could be at nhs england level and NHS England level is kind of the top-down approach. Um, and that's where people like to try and get into. So NICE is the, is the guidelines, basically, of this is the best clinical practice and this is what you should adhere to. Um, so that's kind of the gold standard of getting in is, okay. Um, and we've done this with a few um, devices previously where they've got into the NICE guidelines for their specific disease. And then it kind of comes, uh, there's still a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of barriers after that, but at least yeah. it's kind of a slightly top-down approach. Um, but we yeah. don't, so the difference in the UK is you don't as much within there is private healthcare in the UK, uh, which confuses things somewhat because we kind of have this little private system as well as the NHS. And but within the NHS, you don't tend to have as much outpatient imaging groups um, and the the payer is always the NHS uh, when you're within the NHS. Okay. Um, 
there's just so many. I'm just like going off on tangents here because there's yeah, yeah. there's a lot of little differences. Um, but there's there's a lot of new things happening in the NHS. So these ICSs are going to be really good in terms of kind of looking at a population holistically and see, and addressing their needs. Um, and they'll be a really important stakeholder for people coming into the UK. Um, and then down to kind of there's um, these diagnostic care units now, which are kind of much more in the community and they might offer more advanced imaging or testing. Um, so you don't have to go to your local hospital, which is more comparable to kind of an imaging center in the US. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the main thing with the NHS from an international perspective looking in is you might see one logo on a slide when someone says it's a customer, but it, it's not. It's uh, each each section of the NHS is very um, is very different, and the length of time to get into it is very different. Um, but just like the US, you could still run kind of small pilot sites um, for a new technology. You could still get okay, this hospital we we know the procurement people, we know some of the clinical leadership, um, so we can go in and, and, and talk to them and get them to run a pilot. Um, but kind of just because you got your foot in the door of one NHS trust does not kind of equal all of the NHS trusts. Um, and I think that's that's kind of one of the big, big nuances. Okay, very good. So if <clears throat> the, the top-down approach, this is just one of the questions. So you, so you mentioned the UK is made up of, of, of England, right? Uh, um, Wales, Northern Ireland, and Scotland. Great Britain encompasses what now? Great Britain is. Great <laughs> I'm going to get is, this wrong. <laughs> Great Britain is everything but Northern Ireland, correct? That sounds about right. Okay. Right. So, <laughs> but I'm now worried that I'm going to get my home country completely wrong. <laughs> so, so regardless, though, if you get if if you get approval, and you you would get approval in the UK as a whole, correct? So if you got, so CE marking is what we currently have. Right. Um, now I'm not a complete regulatory wizard. Expert. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's not, yeah, um, yeah. but currently we're CE marking. I think that is changing. There's a lot of nuances and stuff going on at the moment after Brexit. Um, oh yeah, so right. It's, right. It, it's a lot of change at the moment. And we have the yeah. MHRA as well, which is another regulatory kind of body. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. um, but those, they act from a, national level got it um so yeah it wouldn't just be if you had regulatory clearance you would have it i would assume across across the board so yeah so but but for nice so let's assume you get in with nice um that would also filter down to wales scotland and northern ireland that's a really good question so i think from my understanding i think nice focuses on nhs england but and now I'm going to sound yeah. like a complete idiot. I'm actually not totally sure how it works with the regional NHS bodies in terms of whether the guidelines, because NICE is, is kind of a, it's guidelines, so it's not a strict kind of you have to do this. But I actually am not totally sure whether okay. the they yeah. then drill down into, whether they would go into kind of a trust in Wales or something like that. Got um, it. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Okay. Interesting. No, no. It's, it's, That's I, why I, I have a business partner who knows the answer yeah. to these questions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. It's uh, it's just like it's something I'm curious about yeah. because you know it's um, 
like I think we all know England, right? But then I think a lot of people like forget that, oh yeah, the United Kingdom is also Northern Ireland and and what does that demographic look like from from an opportunity sense in Scotland and, and Wales as well. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's helpful. Yeah. yeah so I think the, the really interesting thing about those regions is that they, so they are devolved powers. So they kind of have their own, which is why I'm not totally sure about how, how strict the kind of nice guidelines are in them. Um, but they are devolved powers. So they do have kind of control over quite a lot of what they implement and, and there are different. So I've lived in England and Wales and the way you get healthcare is there's certain nuances and differences to the, how oh, you get healthcare. Yeah. So some certain things are completely free. Certain things are a little bit paid for. You get different, um, like within COVID, the rules were a little different and things like that. So there is quite a difference, but I think the other nations other than England are often overlooked. They have amazing, and we've worked with a few of them. We have, they have amazing hubs of research at the yeah. universities, kind of, you've got Swansea and Cardiff, and then you've got Glasgow and Edinburgh in Scotland, and they have incredible companies coming out of them. And they, um, they're really going to capture a big market because they're going to go into their local NHS and kind of probably get more national coverage there than, yeah. than trying to get to England where, where it's a lot bigger um, and a lot mm-hmm. more competition. So I think yeah. they're, they're really underlooked. And I think anyone coming to the UK especially needs to look at, at all of the nations, not just look at NHS England. Ah, okay. Very good. Um, okay. So let's, uh, let's kind of transition a little bit to um, the, the US. Um, is there, or I guess comparing US to UK, so do you see more of an opportunity i mean obviously the us has a greater population size um so that's why you know a lot of people are interested in in accessing this but to your point uh before right it's it's there it's a little more individualized right um different regions of the country um so when you're looking at that is that is that a pretty big discussion point with with maybe some of the startups like especially you know again europe to us um the understanding of how the us system works um will you help companies think about well hey maybe this region's more fitted for you or maybe this region based on that is that is that like an exercise you go through yeah definitely so so i think the first thing is the decision whether to I think it happens on either side of the pond as well. The decision whether or not to leave your home country to commercialize the product that you've built there is quite a difficult one, um, especially within healthcare, where you know kind of your population, and especially from the more altruistic founders, they, they've built something that they want to help people and they want to see it help people um, you know, close to home so they get to see the benefits. So, And I think the it really, uh, this kind of goes back to something you said earlier, it really depends on what someone's goal is as to whether they're they're building a company that they're going to grow or whether they're building a company that they want to exit quite quickly or they want to get acquired. Um, and that is something that we see because of the, so in terms of Europe and UK to America, people that want to exit and get kind of big backing of VC funding and then get kind of an IPO or get acquired, we really see that they see America as the way to do that just because there's so much more funding in America. Uh, you know, that's where all of the kind of big, big cash is. And that's where people take their products to kind of demonstrate that they, yes, they could operate on a public market or, or something. They are that successful. So we really see that as, as how they, 
how they see their end goal. Uh, is it just to help the local community or is it to become a, a much bigger entity? And then I think the other thing in terms of choosing where to go, again, is, is looking at what your goal is, but also who you're trying to help um, and where that population is, is more densely populated. Um, so, you know, are you trying to help a certain demographic of people and okay where are they based if you're trying to help uh I'm gonna be really offensive and probably quite generalizing at the moment but uh if you're trying to help a slightly older population you would go to certain places if you're trying to help a younger population you might go to other places um if you're trying to help a population that suffers more with obesity there are areas that it's more concentrated um certain cancers are more concentrated in certain regions so those are the those are the things that we look at. Okay, what's your end goal? Who are you trying to help? Mm-hmm. Um, and then it really comes down to the resourcing within the company as well. Like, do you have the power, the manpower, if you like, to do boots on the ground in that country? Mm-hmm. Can you send someone over? Can you hire someone there? Can you hire a company to do that there for you? So some people hire us literally to go over to America and be their boots on the ground, whether that's at conferences or whether it's literally like knocking on doctors' doors. Um, yeah. because they can't do that and that that makes a massive difference as to which area you choose um and also how far from home you can go um, okay those are the main considerations i would say about going back and forth yep okay very good um what else uh am i am i missing anything else in this in, in this initial um commercialization branding effort uh i guess you know i got a good question too um, like how important is like your, your digital footprint, your website, that kind of thing uh, at an early stage versus a later stage. Right. Um, uh, yeah. because I think that's something people struggle with is like, well, I have to have a good website. And it's like, well, yeah, if people are going to it, yeah. um, you know, and if people are searching for it, but so, so I guess, you know, what's kind of your take on that digital footprint aspect? Yeah. So I think one of the biggest things that people I literally probably have five or 10 of these conversations a week. They're like, okay, I know that there's loads of things I could do in marketing, but I don't know which of the things I should do. What should I be focusing on? Yeah. And I think there's, there's three layers of stuff I put in that category (laughs) and all all marketing commercialization stuff falls into stuff. You just don't need to do because it's not going to get to your goal Mm -hmm. stuff that you need to do at a basic level to show that you are a legitimate company and then stuff that you really need to focus on and do really well. Um, and like 70% probably of the marketing tactics out there and the sales stuff and, and comms and branding falls into the 70% that you just don't need to do. Um, and (laughs) someone that understands the market and marketing itself and commercialization is going to be the person that tells you what the 30% is you need to do and the 10% you need to do well is. Um, so for early stage med tech companies looking to even just launch in their own market, you need a website that is like five pages, maybe you need, or one big scrolly page is fine. You need your contact details. You need your founding team, you need your mission, and you need a basic understanding of what your product is and who it's for. Mm -hmm. People need to go to the website and see, okay, this is what you do. This is who you help. This is how I get in touch. And that's it. Yeah. Which I know a lot of people aren't going to like that. I just said that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it it makes total sense. I mean, I, I think the same thing, like when I, when I go to a, early stage companies website. That's all I'm looking for. I mean, especially the early stage that we're supporting, 
Um, I don't want to see too much. I just, it's, there's not too much to show. There's a lot of yeah. fluff generally. And, and I, I don't like fluff. Uh, yeah. Some do. yeah. And I think yeah. it depends on the stage. So really early stage before you're, especially like if you don't actually have paying customers yet, that's all you need. By the time you have people using your product regularly and I, and at a point where you don't have the capacity internally to educate each of those people, then you need some sort of product guides on your website. You need some quick start information about how to, whether it's an actual device or whether it's software, about how to actually use it and, and the value. Um, and you want to have some of your validation studies on there and you want to have some patient resources. That's the next stage is, is those things. Um, okay. And then after that, you can kind of do what you want because you, you've got commercial traction. Um, mm -hmm. But I think early stage, you know, you need a basic website, a basic kind of LinkedIn presence and a Twitter presence when you're at conferences. Um, and it needs to be, it needs to look consistent with the rest of your branding. It needs to have relatively regular updates, but it doesn't need to go too far beyond that. Okay. For most meg tech companies, I would say. Um, but I would... And we're kind of channel agnostic. We we support across the board. So I'm not, I don't always just push one thing, but for most people, the most important thing they can do is meet their customers face-to-face. -face, so go to conferences and raise awareness of what they do and raise awareness of their brand. So PR, mm -hmm. those are the two things that they actually should be investing a little more into. Um, and then they just need to have the basic level of, of kind of base everywhere else. Okay. Um, and as yeah. they grow, those things completely change and all of my advice goes out the window and it completely yeah. changes but at the base level when you're really resource limited and time limited that's what you need to be doing okay i like that so uh this leads perfectly into you know one of my last questions here you work with a lot of companies in the health tech space early stage i'm guessing most of them are startups is that right yeah most so okay so so what are um things that you recommend you see you know it's like hey i want to see every company do this this one thing right and then i'd love to know because you know people learn well from what to do but they also learn well from what to avoid so so your 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 number like you know one or two if there's more than one that's fine but but like the number one thing that you're like hey every startup to be successful in commercialization needs to do this and then i'd love to hear some common errors that you see <laughs> yeah so the thing to do is is really easy talk to your customers okay literally every single time you're thinking of adding something onto the product you're thinking of doing something talk to a customer okay potential customer uh, existing early adopter, whatever it is, I think the the and that that one of the mistakes I see people make, and I won't have this as my only mistake, but one of the mistakes people make is that they don't actually get out of their office or the place where they're developing this amazing thing. They mm -hmm. don't go out and talk to the people that it's going to help, um, and that's yeah. patience. Do they understand what your product is doing to help them, or are, are they really scared of it and they won't get it if a doctor asks them to get it? Do the doctors understand how you're wording stuff on your software, on your device? Does it fit into their day or is it annoying them because it's adding an extra login every single time they try and do it? They have to log into another system and it annoys them and they're not going right. to use it. You know, talk to them, see how they learn, how they consume information, learn how they go about their day. And from that, you'll get your product um, development 
strategy. You'll learn what new things you need to do, what things you need to get rid of, or maybe the product's perfect. Uh, <laughs> that never happens. Doubtful. You'll learn what regulatory requirements you might need. You'll learn what clinical validation you need. And you'll also learn how to market to them, what resonates with them. You'll see, you'll say something, you're like, ah, that's what you care about. Okay, great. And then you'll go in that. Um, and I think there's two things I see people doing wrong a lot. Um, and luckily, actually, our clients seem to have, because of the stage we're working with them at, they haven't done either of these things wrong yet, usually. Um, but the things we see is either people don't do anything in terms of their external persona or brand or communications, and they have no kind of presence externally of their company. And you might have heard of them through someone, but you can't find them anywhere and they haven't done anything or, and they might have the best product in the world, but no one has heard of them. Or they try and do a little bit of everything and don't hit it right on anything. So they're using social media channels that their audience never goes on, or they're going to conferences that is not their target market. Or they're trying to do like five or six different regions at once, even though they haven't actually got any paying customers in any of them. So I think either people kind of go, I'm not going to do anything with commercialization and I'm just going to focus on the product. And then they have no market at the end and they've spent all their money. Or they do a little bit of everything, not very well. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Like they they almost spread they almost spread their their chips out across yeah. the board. Okay. Yep. Exactly. Very good. Very good. Okay. No, that's awesome. Um, I don't have any other questions. Uh, you know, I think um, for me, the commercialization, I have so many of these conversations with, with folks really early on and, and really push the fact that like most, most companies can't afford to have a commercial uh, a chief commercial officer in the room at day one and and but you need to have commercials voice present there and so um if you could find a creative way to get them involved like having a consultant then that's great so so i think i'm good from a question standpoint is there anything that i missed that you wanted to touch on or um no i think i think we covered it a lot and i think that point that you make then just to kind of from my perspective on that the it can be, and obviously I want to sell my services and, and I think everyone should get a marketing agency at some point, yeah. but, but I do think there's a stage where actually commercialization is more of a mindset for the founders right. and they really need to get into that mindset of talking to their customers and thinking about, okay, how am I actually going to get paid for this? How am I going to get money so mm -hmm. that I can continue to grow this product and it can actually be clinically successful and help people? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that is... In the early stages where you can't afford to bring someone in, a consultant or someone, you know, we kind of do a fractional chief commercial officer type thing for some people that, you know, it's like a few hours a week. Um, you know, that is a good option to begin with. But for those people that can't afford that, more just think about the mindset and think, okay, what, what like two things can I do today that will make my company more commercially successful? Can I pick up the phone and talk to a customer? Can I go to yeah. a conference? I know that there's going to be a few customers at. Um, and it's simple things like that. 
Yeah, no, that's great. That's awesome advice. So um, I will have a link to Jasmine's uh, LinkedIn. Um, does Evelyn have a website? Yes. Awesome. So I'll have a link to the uh, website um, in the show notes as well. So depending on what platform you're listening to, up or down an inch. Um, and uh, I'll probably have um, your business partner, James. I'll have his LinkedIn in the show notes as well. So they, if anyone wants to get a hold of Evelyn, they, they can do it. Um, and then uh, other than that, Jasmine, thanks so much for your time. Hang on for one minute. We'll ch- chat offline, but, but thanks for doing this. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Yep. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. If you need anything from the podcast, you can always contact us at info at Thanks for listening and have a great day.